0: Binge Mode is presented by Universal Orlando Resort. At Universal Orlando Resort, Universal CityWalk is the epicenter of awesome.
1: With so many great places to shop, you can take home more than just memories. Plus,
0: restaurants at Universal CityWalk offer unique Dining experiences that every member of your party will enjoy, including the Toothsome Chocolate Emporium and Savory Feast Kitchen, where chefs create culinary alchemy with gourmet chocolates and artisanal milkshakes.
1: Go to www.universalorlando.com to plan your visit today.
0: Warning. Binge mode contains adult content.
1: This episode of... Binge Mode Harry Potter will detail how Tom Riddle catfished one Harry Potter. It's a delightful tale. Charming young boy, seducing another one with merely his words. If that's not your thing,
0: then please check out the press box. One more warning. Binge Mode contains spoilers. If you don't yet know what kind of pet Millicent Bulstrode keeps... What a name. Please proceed with extreme caution.
1: And now, Binge Mode.
0: Ron shook his head. Both he and Hermione were looking as though someone had died. Harry couldn't see what was so terrible. Do you want to tell me
1: what's wrong with stopping a
0: massive snake biting off
1: Justin's head? He said. What does it matter how I did it as long as Justin doesn't have to join the headless hunt?
0: It matters, said Hermione, speaking at last in a hushed voice. Because being able to talk to snakes was what Saladar Slytherin was
1: famous for. That's why the symbol of Slytherin House is a serpent. Harry's mouth
0: fell open. Exactly, said Ron. And now the whole school is going to think you're his great-great-great-great-grandson or something. But I'm not, said Harry, with a panic he couldn't quite explain. You'll find that hard to prove, said Hermione. He lived about a
1: thousand years ago, for all we know you could be.
0: Welcome to Binge Mode Harry Potter. I'm Mallory Rubin, executive editor of TheRinger.com. Oh. Joining me today, now that he's finished crafting a singing Valentine for the boy who lived. Delightful. The ringer staff writer, your headmaster, Jason Concepcio. His eyes
1: are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine. He's really divine. The hero who listened to binge mode. Ha <laughs> ha! Welcome to Binge Mode Harry Potter, where we're exploring every nook, every cranny, every facet of the Harry Potter universe. Whether you're a singing Cupid or a singing poltergeist, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, rate and review us. Yeah. Five stars only. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is only for Binge Mode fans, which is a great place to swap theories on how many of Lockhart's 46 Valentines Hermione actually sent. All 46. That's All of them.
0: Yesterday on Binge Mode Harry Potter, we explored how pride and prejudice shaped Mm -hmm. chapters 6 through 10 of the second book in the series, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. And on today's episode, we are diving deep deep into chapters 11 through 14 of Chamber. Requisite spoiler warning for today's binge, as always, while those four chapters are today's primary focus, we will be going deep on details from all seven books and eight films and the wider Potter canon, taking the entire series into account from the moment, oh, Potter, you rotter, hits our ears. Oh, Potter, you
1: rotter. Oh, what
0: have you done? So grab your ink pot and open your mind, because it's time to head... Into Tom Riddle's diary.
1: Mal, make way for the heir of Slytherin's seriously evil wizard coming through! He needs space, because it's time to offer up a brief refresher on what actually happened. In chapters 11 to 14, we're climbing aboard this scarlet
0: steam engine of plot, the Hogwarts Express. Chapter 11 The Dueling Club. After his release from Madame Pomfrey's hospital wing, Harry finds his friends in Myrtle's bathroom, where Hermione and Ron have carried on with the polyjuice potion plan as Harry recovered. Gotta regrow those bones. Ron and Hermione, like the rest of the school, already know about the attack on Colin Creevy, but Harry still has something to share and tells them all about Dobby's latest visit. The school is naturally in a panic over Colin's attack and recent events. Later, during Snape's potions lesson... Our friends manage to steal the final ingredients—Bicorn Horn and Boomslang Skin—that mm. they <laughs> that they need to complete the potion. Snape, on to Harry, always on to Harry. Professor Lockhart starts a dueling club. Mm-hmm. The first meeting features
1: Snape owning Lockhart's Incredible. ass. Lots of entry-level dueling, and Harry speaking Parseltongue, a noted talent of Salazar Slytherin, to a snake in front of everyone in attendance. Students fearing he's responsible for the attacks begin avoiding Harry, and rumors abound that he is the heir of Slytherin. This isn't helped when Peeves finds Harry, oh, just at the scene of the latest attack. The victims this time, Justin Finch Fletchley, an annoying Hufflepuff student, and nearly headless Nick, the Gryffindor ghost. McGonagall escorts Potter to Dumbledore's office. We'd
0: just like to say that Hogwarts is gigantic and Harry has an amazing knack for turning I'm up at saying. exactly the wrong place Listen, at the wrong when time. you
1: show up at the scene of
0: the crime like three times in a row, <laughs> it's not great. Chapter 12, the polyjuice potion. Harry becomes reacquainted with the sorting hat in the headmaster's office. Godric Gryffindor's weathered old cap tells Harry, upon Harry's inquiry... That the hat stands by its original pronouncement, that Harry would have done well in Slytherin. Harry's not thrilled to hear this, and he's also not thrilled when he meets Fox, Dumbledore's Phoenix, who promptly bursts into flames. Here for you to see him on a burning day. It's not his best day. Fox is then reborn from the pile of ash. Dumbledore arrives, and Hagrid bursts in, eager to absolve Harry of the attacks, but there's no need. Dumbledore doesn't think that Harry did it. He does, however, ask Harry whether there is anything, anything, that he'd like to get off his chest. Harry answers,
1: no. Harry answers, no. Secrets and lies. (laughs) Finally, the polyjuice potion is ready after a fucking month. Guys, Jesus. After obtaining the necessary hairs, gross... The group returns to Myrtle's, and the potion is ladled out and consumed. Harry now looks like the spitting image of Goyle. Ron is crab, and Hermione won't come out of her (laughs) saw. Harry and Ron will
0: have to get into the Slytherin common room on their own. Just shout something racist at a wall in the dungeon, and you're probably going to have the password. Kill
1: the mudbloods! Oh, it opened.
0: (laughs) After a few very amusing missteps, looking forward to discussing... Percy's sexual exploits throughout the episode. And the, really the run on the podcast. Ginny walks in on him doing something <laughs> in the next episode. Something. Harry and Ron eventually sync up with Malfoy and get into the Slytherin common room where they converse with Draco, their suspect. He reveals that Arthur Weasley is under investigation after the whole, you know, thing with the Ford Anglia. Dun, dun, dun. Charmed. He also casually mentions. The Wizarding Prison, Askaban, and most importantly, reveals that he is not, in fact, the heir of Slytherin. Doesn't know who the heir is, and really wishes that he could find out so that he could help this person murder someone. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Ron and Harry, the potion leaving their systems, flee back to the bathroom where they discover that Hermione accidentally ingested a cat hair and is becoming part cat. Dun, dun,
1: dun. Chapter 13, The Very Secret Diary. Harry and Ron are visiting Hermione in the hospital wing where she's being deferred when they hear a commotion from the floor above. They run up and find a flood issuing from Myrtle's bathroom. The ghost is distraught because someone threw a book at her, and it hit her. Ooh. Harry picks it up and, against Ron's objections, opens it. On the very first page is the name T.M. Riddle, and the rest of it is blank. Ron recognizes the name because he just spent several hours polishing trophies And that name was on an award for special services to the school issued 50 years ago. Oh, the same
0: time the chamber was last opened. With Harry in possession of the diary, the attacks coincidentally cease. (laughs) What can it mean? After a few weeks of not being able to stop thinking about the diary, really harping on the diary, Harry is in his dormitory one night and drops a little blot of ink onto one of the pages. It swirls, and Harry begins to discover the truth of the diary. Tom Riddle writes back. He then brings Harry into his memory of the night when he caught the culprit. Huge air quotes here. Last time the chamber was open, a student died, and Harry sees Riddle confront the much younger Rubius Hagrid harboring a large spider in the school. Riddle will frame Hagrid. He tries to kill the spider, but Hagrid intervenes and sweet little spider escapes. Chapter 14,
1: Cornelius Fudge, a.k.a.
0: Corny Fudge.
1: Harry, Ron, and Hermione decide that since there's been no new attacks, there's really no need to ask Hagrid about all this. It makes total sense. That tracks, yeah. One day, Harry returns to his room to find that someone has searched his belongings. Riddle's diary is missing and because the tower is Password protected. Mm. The thief can only be a Gryffindor.
0: I love how they think that when they just got into the yeah, Slytherin cool. common room, by it's, the way. No safer place
1: than Hogwarts. They're also like, let's not ask Hagrid this thing that we just found because now <laughs> nobody is being petrified anymore for like two days. So let's not ask him about his maybe murder. I know. Should we ask him now? Wouldn't want to upset let him. Let it go. Is if it? one more person is <laughs> almost killed, maybe. <laughs>
0: The next morning, before the big match against Hufflepuff, Harry hears the voice again. Uh Uh-oh. Hermione believes that she has figured something out, runs off to the library, as Hermione does. Harry can't wait around, though. He's got a Quidditch match, and Quidditch is always the most important thing, except maybe it isn't because Harry grabs his Nimbus, heads for the pitch, and just as the teams are about to take off, Minerva Magallion McGonagall herself comes out to announce that the match has been canceled. I didn't like the
1: lines. Uh, The the lines were moving uh, too quickly, and so I had to cancel it. Also, there was a double
0: attack. (laughs) Ah! One of the victims is Hermione.
1: Harry and Ron finally go to consult Hagrid, but while they're there, there's a knock on the door. Harry and Ron hide under the cloak. Dumbledore and Corny Fudge, the Minister of Magic, come in. Hagrid, over Dumbledore's objections, is to go to Azkaban. Things turn worse when Lucius Malfoy arrives bearing a letter from the governors. Dumbledore has been suspended! Uh Uh-oh. Hagrid tells his invisible friends that someone will need to feed Fang while he's gone, and that anyone wanting to know some things need only, quote,
0: Follow the spiders. Thanks. Helpful. Feed your pets. Don't pull a Ramsay Bolton. Jason. Yeah. Yes, you were particularly difficult to place. But I stand by what I said before. You would have done well in Slytherin. And that gets us to this episode's big idea. So let's dive into the pensive to sift through our thoughts. The defining theme of chapters 11 through 14 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets is identity.
1: Chapter 11, The Dueling Club. The issue of identity is pulled into tight focus when we consider the central question of these chapters. Who or what is behind these attacks? The student body is, of course, in an absolute panic. And so it's easy to miss the clues pointing us toward, spoiler, Ginevra Weasley. Colin Creevy was her next door neighbor in Charm, sat right next to her. So of course she's upset with those, the attacks striking really so close to her. The faculty shows no ability to protect anyone. (laughs) No safer place than Hogwarts. Is absolutely not getting involved as its students are shouting racist threats in the hallways. In addition to that, Fred and George are currently carrying out various misguided attempts at cheering her up, which mostly involve making themselves disfigured and jumping out behind corners at her? Love those guys. Surely that would be the source of the nightmares that she's having, correct? Ah, but we will soon discover the truth.
0: What about this monster, guys? It is not just about figuring out whether Draco or another student is opening the chamber. It's about uncovering what beast waits Within. As Ron notes when Harry reports on Dobby's latest, extremely alarming visit, it would be helpful to at least get some intel on this mythical monster. Mm -hmm. Quote, I want to know how come nobody's noticed it sneaking around the school. Yeah, that's a really good point. Students keep falling into petrified states. Mrs. Norris is petrified. Who is doing this? Not just the person, but the thing. How come nobody has any information? How come nobody's seen anything? Hermione, always the master sleuth, floats the possibility that maybe it's invisible, maybe it's a phantom. They're just throwing things against the wall here. They don't know. And the question of how to properly fight something that you can't see, that you can't understand, recurs throughout the entire series. It's often associated with a particular aspect of Voldemort and his reign of terror. And here, that idea, that type of threat, the veiled threat, isn't just existential. It is imminent. It is potentially literally waiting for them around every bend. The fact that the attacks
1: are linked to Salazar Slytherin's heir and the former co-founder of Hogwarts' bigoted worldview brings another aspect of identity into focus. The fact that identity is in some sense out of your hands. Pure bloods, it's thought, by the student body, would be unlikely to be targeted by the heir of Slytherin. Choice is one of the central themes of our story, right? And choice stands in stark opposition to identity. Our characters are defined by the choices they make. Now, though... The characters have to grapple with being defined by their ancestry, their blood, by things really beyond their control. When Neville purchases a potion and a crystal and a tail of a nude, a rotting tail of nude, (laughs) on the suddenly bustling black market for protective items, his fellow students remind him that, as a pureblood, you're likely going to be fine, dude. Don't worry about it. He says, they went for Filch first, and everyone knows I'm almost a squib. Identity is immutable as far as the Slytherin ideology is concerned. For those who adhere to Salazar's twisted philosophies, it's about the blood, not the choices.
0: Part of the tragedy at play there is that Neville still doesn't think he's worth a damn as a wizard. For some, being pureblood sparks this entitlement that comes from a label that can serve as a bulldozer, you know, it clears obstacles, it forges paths. You're a pureblood, you can have your way in life. But for others like Neville, that label, that part of identity is a burden. It's an expectation setter that Neville doesn't feel worthy of being measured against. And it's very notable that three of the central figures in the Harry Potter saga are neither pureblood nor muggleborn, but half-blood. Physical manifestations of the idea that coming together, bridging these divides, is always going to be more powerful than staying apart. Harry, as soon as he discovers this about himself, embraces this part of his identity. He's always proud that he befriends and fights for people of all backgrounds. Snape assumed the half-blood label as part of his moniker, the half-blood prince. Voldemort? Well, he obviously assumed the pure-blood, doctrine of his ancestor, Salazar Slytherin, you know, attempting to build a society around this class system. But being a half-blood had an undeniable impact on his life. It's the thing that he always wanted to run away from, shedding his muggle father's name and fashioning himself a new title as soon as he could. But it's also the thing that he could never fully escape. When Voldemort hears the prophecy and seeks to act upon it, he chooses to go after Harry, the half-blood, the person he sees himself in, not Neville, the pure blood.
1: Then we come to Gilderoy Lockhart, a.k.a. Ah, yes. a- 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 Gilderoy Rockhart. <laughs> <laughs> For Gilderoy, <clears throat> identity is a sham. It's a put-on, a long con, purposefully designed to make him out to be an elite, world-class, world-traveling wizard. His identity is manufactured, and there's been numerous times where this product has come up against reality which, per JK, is just as Dumbledore planned, right? <laughs> but never so dramatically as his epic ass-beating <laughs> at the hands of one Severus Snape to kick off the premiere meeting of the Dueling Club. Gilder says, Now Professor Dumbledore has granted me
0: permission to sort this little
1: Dueling Club, which, great idea, Unbelievable.
0: Like Good work, come Dumbly. On. Come on. You're going to let this man... It's Who better. you know is incompetent, Listen, teach these
1: children how to duel. It's better than having Voldemort run it. Anyway, he continues. To train you all in case you ever need to defend yourselves, as I myself have done on countless occasions for full details. See my published works. Yes, yeah, see my published works indeed. Lockhart and Stape, his assistants, square off in demonstration, and the potions master easily, with ease, defeats the celebrity wizard with Expelliarmus. One of the most basic defense spells out there, and a future favorite of one, Harry Potter. This is the moment that Harry Potter fell in love with his one true one. Sorry, Expelli Ginny. Expelliarmus. Yeah, no, it's all about Expelliarmus. <laughs> when, he's, when
0: he's laying in bed next to Ginny. He's thinking about Expelliarmus? He's <laughs> just thinking about Expelliarmus. <laughs> Consider the significance of that. Expelliarmus, which becomes such a staple for Harry after his... Use of it in the shrieking check, his goblet graveyard escape, his DA lesson, Learn another spell, my guy. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Numerous examples we could give here. That Lupin tells him in Deathly Hallows after Harry uses Expelliarmus against Stan in midair battle that the death Eaters believe it is his, quote, signature move. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) Consider the significance of the fact that he learned that from Snape, the man who for 99% of the series Harry thinks is his mortal enemy. There are so many instances throughout the series of Harry soaking up Snape's tutelage without realizing that he's doing so. And while Harry's bond with the Half-Blood Prince is sort of the showroom floor shiny example of that, the Expelliarmus tie is as key to the story as any. You know, the fact that Snape a seeming foe who's masked his true identity as savior is the one who first exposes Harry to the spell that becomes the hallmark of Harry's identity as Hold on, wizard.
1: I, I, hold on I used Lumos also, Lupin. <laughs> I have used Lumos several times this week.
0: Okay? Cannot be overstated. In this story, the people who we hold up as heroes, they prove fallible all the time. And the people who live under a shadow of doubt often proved to be the most impactful teachers. There's a lesson there. The ties that bind are ever-present. They wrap us together. Devil's snare. Even when we can't see them or understand them. And what about what Harry's reliance on Expelliarmus says about him as a hero? I, I used Reparo at least once. <laughs> Definitely used the Sectumsempra.
1: Right. I use Sectumsempra. <laughs> Come on. Never forget to just For enemies. Brief period
0: of time where he (laughs) used Imperio regularly. For enemies. (laughs) Semi on the reg. Harry's signature move, to use Lupin's framing there, is not to wound but rather to prevent another from being able to wound. You know, Harry is not perfect in his darkest moments of desperation and despair or just sheer recklessness. He uses evil curses, sometimes unknowingly, sometimes knowingly. But most often, his instinct, his desire is to disarm, to prevent attack and harm.
1: Harry's identity has evolved drastically over the previous two years. His duel with Malfoy his partner per Snape's suggestion further uncovers another aspect of this evolving identity his talent for speaking parseltongue the language of the snakes Eesh. with students trading spells and elbows and headlocks lockhart stops the action intending to teach the students how to block attacks good 19th step gildroy yeah. let's uh, hey, should let's i start plan? there so after snape little's Neville, he nominates Harry and Malfoy to square off in front of everyone. Lockhart just do what I did, Harry Harry, what, drop my wand? (laughs) At the count of one, two, go Malfoy strikes first, conjuring a snake Lockhart attempts to make the serpent disappear, but instead the animal is thrown high into the air and it comes slapping down and now it's really pissed and it's slithering toward one Justin Finch Fletchley, ever the hero, Harry leaps into action, leave him alone, he yells and the snake, to everyone's surprise, actually does that Everyone is
0: horrified. Yes. Justin says, what do you think you're playing at? Justin, fucking chill. You could be dead, my guy. Let's consider the description here because this phrasing is crucial. Quote, Harry wasn't sure what made him do it. He wasn't even aware of deciding to do it. Okay. Then, after the snake listens to Harry, after Harry calls off the attack, quote, Harry felt the fear drain out of him. He knew the snake wouldn't attack anyone now, though how he knew it, he couldn't have explained. All right. There are things inside of Harry that he will not uncover until the closing chapters of Deathly Hallows, these foreign bodies that corrupt and taint him, but also that make him who he is. Sometimes the truth of who we are is a mystery to us as much as it is, or maybe even more than it is to other people. But it isn't just about what's inside of us or how what's inside of us might pull at us or guide us, you know, an unseen force that's pushing the hand of life across our own Ouija board. It is, as Dumbledore will tell Harry in the next set of chapters, quote, our choices, Harry, that show what we truly are far more than our abilities. Being a parcel mouth is part of Harry's identity, But he doesn't have to let it or anything else that is inside of him define him. He can choose a different path.
1: Harry, you will recall, knew that he could do this. In Chapter 2 of Sorcerer's Stone, the Vanishing Glass, he makes the glass disappear, speaks to a boa constrictor. But he didn't really understand the weight of this until he sees the reactions of his fellow students. Snape, notably, seems intrigued by Harry's display. And Ron and Hermione rush Harry out of the hall and... Explain to him that this is ominous. It's rare. Ron is creeped out by it. Harry is frustrated to say the least. He self-identifies as a hero, even if he doesn't consciously think that way. And there he goes out of his way to save someone's life from a snake. And the method that he used is being held against him. He's been questioned for this. Gratitude. It's unbelievable. And Hermione says, yeah. Because being able to talk to snakes was what Salazar Slytherin was famous for. That's why the symbol of Slytherin house is a serpent. Uh Uh-oh. Surely now the whole school will be thinking they've just seen the evidence that Harry is Slytherin's heir. It's compelling evidence, to be fair. It is. I mean, (laughs) let's see. Has been at the scene of every crime. (laughs) Speaks Parseltongue. Is perhaps the only student to attend Hogwarts who can speak Parseltongue since Voldemort.
0: Didn't love sharing a a herbology table with Justin. I just got to say, the evidence is strong. (laughs) Next on Netflix. (laughs) The bathroom. Since the moment that Harry entered the Wizarding World, he has felt on stage. You know, sometimes during a Quidditch match, say, that's thrilling, that's validating. Other times, like in the recent weeks during his second year of school, is whispers and looks follow him through the halls, it's been really alienating for him. And now, after the snake incident, when he leaves the Great Hall, people draw away from him, quote, as though they were frightened of catching something. Harry's not even a human being in this moment. He's a disease. He's something foul. He's a virus that people are afraid to catch. And when you start to think that other people are perceiving you in such a fashion, It's all too easy to start feeling that way about yourself. Harry wants to shrug this off. He's so annoyed. He's maddened that Justin and everybody else in the Great Hall, and by the way, everybody's there. It's like the entire school. They should all be able, he thinks, to perceive that his actions are not nefarious. But when he hears Ron say about Parseltongue, quote, it's not a very common gift. How can he really fend off this creeping doubt, particularly when he learns that he was literally speaking a different language? It's not just that he can communicate with snakes, as Jason said, he already knew that. He did not realize, even in this moment, that he is speaking another language. English is not coming out of his mouth. Of course, learning that shakes Harry's sense of self, calls his identity into question, not only for others, but for him. He didn't know he was a wizard until he was 11. What else doesn't he know? What doesn't he know still now? Plenty. There's a lot that he's not going to find out until Deathly Hallows. When Ron says that the whole school's going to think that Harry Slytherin's great-great-great grandson, the reply goes, quote, but I'm not, said Harry, with a panic he couldn't quite explain. Hermione chimes in. You'll find that hard to prove. He lived about a thousand years ago for all we know you could be. Harry can't sleep. He's harping on how little he knows about his own history, particularly his father's family, and how, of course, the sorting hat wanted to put him in Slytherin house in the first place.
1: Harry is a celebrity and fame is, in one sense, a kind of loss of control, a loss of agency over your image and your identity when your famous people think they know you. And this is something that Harry has been struggling with since he arrived at Hogwarts. And it's only become more intense after the Parseltongue incident. In the library, Harry overhears a group of Hufflepuffs talking about him talking about how Justin needs to hide in the dormitory and and what if Justin is now the next victim? You gotta lay low. You gotta hide. Ernie says, of Harry, he's a parcel mouth. Everyone knows that's the mark of a dark wizard. Harry's biography is now being used and being molded to fit this new and quite troubling and perhaps even dangerous narrative. How, these students are wondering, do you think he survived Voldemort's attack? He must be a powerful, dark wizard, a rival, a threat to Voldemort. Harry steps out from behind the stacks and confronts him. He says, hey, I'm looking for Justin. I just want to tell him, quote, what really happened. I'm looking for the real attackers, as O.J. Simpson once said. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What's the Chamber of Secrets version of the glove? Right. If I froze them by Harry Potter... (laughs) (laughs) if I petrified them. Anyway. It does not go well. He storms out of the library and things go from bad to worse because (laughs) guess what happens? (laughs) Guess where he ends up? In a particularly darkened hallway of the castle where at his feet is one Justin Finch Fletchley petrified just like all the rest. (laughs) Also there, petrified nearly headless Nick, now black and smoky. Who should wander up but Peeves who is absolutely alarmed it goes away screaming at the top of his lungs oh potter you rotter what have you done you're killing off students you think it's good fun catchy tune got to say quite a quite a nice <laughs> cipher off the dome from my guy Peeves who has bars even McGallion cannot protect harry now let's go see the headmaster
0: harry needs a different route <laughs> i'm just saying
1: the circumstantial evidence is fucking ridiculous. Imagine
0: if Harry had the Marauder's Map in his second year and he could just look and see petrified dots and avoid those corridors. Harry
1: is going to dedicate the rest (laughs) of his school year to finding the real attackers. Chapter 12, the Polyjuice Potion. Mmm, delicious. McGonagall escorts Harry to Dumbledore's where he sees the Sorting Hat. Talking about identity, the hat plays a huge role in Harry's and every other student's identity. Right? Harry has... Been haunted since year one by the possibility that he really belongs in Slytherin, not Gryffindor, Slytherin, the house of dark wizards and witches, Snape and Malfoy's house, Voldemort's house, Salazar, Slytherin, the racist's house. You could argue, I would argue, that this is actually his greatest fear because it's the one he can't really— confront directly or control in any type of way. He either belongs in Slytherin due to some immutable and intangible aspect of his character, his blood, his ancestry, or he doesn't. And there's nothing he can do about that in his mind. This is the fear. Did Harry's plea, not Slytherin, not Slytherin, sway the hat and sway the hat in a way that made the hat overrule what is was actually the correct decision that he belongs in Slytherin? Is he a Slytherin in body, if not spirit? Harry puts the hat on. You were difficult to place, the sorting hat tells him, but I stand by what I said before. You'd have done well in Slytherin. You're wrong, Harry says, though he seems less than sure.
0: Typical asshole teenager asking the question. I know, it's it like you like wanted answer. to know. <laughs> Don't start the
1: conversation. You wanted to know.
0: The hat, of course, not the only magical object in the room. Who is Dumbledore? Yes. What do we really know about this man? The trinkets, the objects that pepper his office help to start filling in the sketch of who he is, as does the presence of dear sweet Fox. Dumbledore says, quote, he's really very handsome most of the time, wonderful red and gold plumage, fascinating creatures, phoenixes. They can carry immensely heavy loads. Their tears have healing powers, and they make highly faithful pets. This is obviously foreshadowing about the role that Fox will play in the book's climax, but... There's also something fundamental here in those comments and in Fox's presence about who Dumbledore is. He is a man who places supreme value on loyalty and who, as we will come to learn, keenly (laughs) understands the perils of one's faith being misplaced. It's always great when a shadowy leader puts so much value on
1: loyalty. Never goes wrong. Never goes wrong. Dumbledore, speaking of. Doesn't believe Harry is behind the attacks. Of course he doesn't. He wants to talk to Harry for other reasons. Now, what do we know about Dumbledore? What is Dumbledore's identity? We don't know much about him, really. He is a man, at this point, of many secrets. Very opaque, layered man. He knows how secrets can affect a person. So when he asks Harry, gently, if he has anything he would like to tell him. Anything at all. It's an important moment for Harry. Dumbledore at this point, is the closest thing that Harry has to a father figure, at least until Sirius Black comes into his life. Harry reveres Dumbledore. I think it's not understatement to say that. So Harry's decision here to hold back about the things that Malfoy has been saying, about the polyjuice, about the creeping dread that he potentially belongs in Slytherin and is perhaps related to Salazar Slytherin, is important. Crucially, he holds back about the ghostly voice he's been hearing. This is part of Harry's magical awakening, an awakening that has been shepherded in large degree by Dumbledore, and it's part of it that Harry is too ashamed to talk about. That's notable. That's important.
0: Fred and George never really feel shame, do they? No. (laughs) They're having a grand old time walking around the halls. even
1: as the school descends further and further and further into
0: chaos and tyranny. Fred and George love it. Imagine if the (laughs) business were open at this point. They would just be raking in the coin. I know. They are having a grand old time serving as Harry's advance guard in the halls. Make way for the heir of Slytherin, seriously evil wizard coming through. They're bewitching Percy's prefect, Dad, Shereed Pinhead. (laughs) But... (laughs) Harry, Ron, and Hermione have something other than jokes on their mind. The truth. Exactly one year, one Christmas, after Harry received the Invisibility Cloak, an object that literally allows the wearer to mask who they are, their identity, their intentions. He and his best friends set about masking their identities in a new way by putting their Polyjuice Potion plan into action at long last. More about the actual potion coming in today's restricted section, but what of the plan? That hinges on the brew. Absent Hermione, who unbeknownst to them has digested a cat hair instead of a human hair. I gotta say, I adjust cat hairs accidentally all the time, and it's tough. Tough yes. on the allergies, really is. Harry and Ron, masquerading as Goyle and Crab, make their way to interrogate Draco. The password to the Slytherin Common Room is pure blood, which, how is this allowed I in don't the know. school? <laughs> Unbelievable. Truly, truly appalling. Malfoy reveals more of his identity over the course of this conversation as a prejudiced asshad. He hands over the Daily Profit clipping about Arthur Weasley's 50 galleon fine, a total that we know the Weasley family cannot afford. He mocks the Weasleys and then he comments on the Daily Profit's lack of coverage of the current attacks. Guys, no safer place than Hogwarts. It's very safe here.
1: Uh, It's great here.
0: And then they get to the crux of it. Not only is Malfoy not behind the attacks, he doesn't know who is. He wishes that he knew because he wants not to stop them, but to help. All he knows is what his daddy told him. The chamber was open 50 years ago and that time, quote, a mudblood died. He then says he hopes this time it's Granger. Let us not understand how foul this is. Malfoy is a kid, sure, He's inherited his father's bigotry, sure. But he is also praying for the murder of a classmate and lamenting his inability to act as accomplice. That's who he is. (laughs) And now a brief break for a word from our sponsors. Support for today's show comes from HelloFresh. HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that shops, plans, Ooh. and delivers your favorite step-by-step recipes and pre-measured ingredients so you can just cook, eat, and enjoy. Choose from three
1: plans, including classic, veggie,
0: and family. Each box is delivered right to your door and recyclable insulated packaging, and made up of fresh, responsibly obtained ingredients from carefully selected farms and high-rated, trusted sources.
1: Plus, with simple recipes outlined on pictured step-by-step instruction cards, you can feel confident in your cooking.
0: There are even lots
1: of one-pot recipes that require minimal cleanup. So you can spend less time meal planning, and grocery shopping each week and get that time back to do more of what you love. I ordered the vegetarian meal plan. It arrived this week, and I found it delightful. It was two different uh, recipes. I found them delicious and easy to prepare.
0: For $30 off your first week of HelloFresh, visit hellofresh.com slash binge30 and enter the code binge30. That's
1: hellofresh.com slash binge30. Offer code binge30 for $30 off your first week Hello, Fresh. And now back to binge mode. Chapter 13, The Very
0: Secret Diary. One of my favorite chapters in the entire series. <clears throat> it's truly great. Chamber of Secrets
1: is widely considered to be the weakest book in the series. What do you think?
0: I think that. I think it's a fair assessment. It is on my personal power rankings. I have two personal power sure. rankings favorite and best. The order is slightly different. Chamber is last on both. However, I still love it and think it's a masterpiece. It's yeah. like, I imagine this is what how people feel when they say, who's your favorite child? Like, I can't pick. You know, all Harry books are fabulous in their own way. And just because Chamber is last on the power rankings doesn't mean it's not wonderful. There's so much in here that is hugely important in terms of the endgame, in terms of the bonds between Riddle and Harry, in terms of the Horcrux endgame. It is really... It should be studied in terms of how much she knew from the beginning. Hey, I guess that's what this podcast is, right? Look at that. What about you?
1: I do think that. Obviously, there's tremendously important material in here, which we are talking about now. But in terms of like story flow and the actual adventure they're in, I would
0: rank it last. That doesn't mean it's bad. There's still so much joy page to page. Yes. Re- it is actually a really fun book to return to because there's a lot to discover and there's a lot of flair in the writing. You've been pointing there this is. out as we've been going through. There are some just really lovely turns of phrase and passages in there. And I don't know. We're just every, every page with them is a gift. I agree.
1: Now, I agree with that assessment that it is the weakest. That said, in rereading this. The Tom Riddle reveal remains one of the story's most chilling moments and a metaphor for identity, for ideology and immortality that works on multiple levels. Riddle, of course, went on to become the Dark Lord Voldemort, and his diary, we will eventually discover, is a horcrux, a shard of his soul that allows him to live on when his body is destroyed.
0: Harry knows none of that at this point, but as soon as he discovers the physical book washed up in Myrtle's bathroom, the diary has a hold over him nonetheless. Why did someone cast this diary aside? We speak often on this podcast about how the cripples, bastards, and broken things ideology unites the central figures in A Song of Ice and Fire. For Harry, what he tells the boa constrictor in the zoo, what he feels here about the diary, is the lens through which he views so much. How do neglect and shame shape us? Harry notes upon first thumbing through the diary that it was purchased in Vauxhall Road, T.M. Riddle, he deduces, must have been muggle-born. He's already starting to see these connections between them. When Ron urges Harry to chuck it, Harry turns that logic around on him. He says, quote, I wish I knew why someone did try to chuck it. I wouldn't mind knowing how Riddle got an award for special services to Hogwarts either. Ron, once again, unwittingly so right in his read, he says, quote, maybe he murdered Myrtle. That would have done everyone a favor. Well, he (laughs) did murder Myrtle. That's what happened. Tom Riddle murdered Myrtle. Great job, Ron. Could do without the doing everyone a favor part. That's mean. Harry and Hermione plow on, though. The chamber was open 50 years ago. Riddle won his award 50 years ago. Maybe the diary contains information on the chamber. Where is it? How to open it? What's inside of it?
1: Rowling's works were not out very long before they were attacked from various organizations for being sinful, for being gateways to witchcraft, for... If you only. Know, for altering young minds in ways that are not conducive to their being in polite society. So it's notable, I think, that perhaps the best bits of Chamber, at least from my opinion, the best bits of Chamber, hinge on a beguiling and mysterious book full of secrets and hidden dangers. I think that's quite portentous. Ron tries to warn Harry that opening it could be dangerous. Harry plunges on regardless, much like the readers would be plunging on with this book, eventually discovering that he can communicate with the journal's long-lost author by writing in it, leaving aside the magical elements here. This is what books are, ships of a sort, arcs of a sort for ideas and perspectives that sail out through time, carrying their cargoes to new eyes, to new minds. Books are, in a very real sense, like real-life horcruxes. And like Riddle's diary, Books represent the perspectives of their authors, some of whom may be unreliable, be dangerous, or even worse.
0: Harry can't ever let a mystery go. But he also can't ignore the hold that this diary in particular has over him. Quote, Harry couldn't explain even to himself why he didn't just throw Riddle's diary away. The fact was that even though he knew the diary was blank, he kept absentmindedly picking it up and turning the pages as though it were a story he wanted to finish. And while Harry was sure he had never heard the name TM Riddle before, it still seemed to mean something to him. Almost as though Riddle was a friend he'd had when he was very small and had half forgotten. And this is, of course, a massive Horcrux clue, but it is also another key insight into Harry's identity. He is defined by his choices. Yes, that's one of the series' chief paramount messages, but he's also tethered to the past in ways that he can't yet understand and has never been able to control. The story that he wants to finish here, it's the story of his own life. The Horcruxes are anchors that lock Voldemort to mortality, but they're also tethers for Harry to the past, to Voldemort, to a part of his identity that he didn't choose to forge, but that he will have to choose to break away from. Our head to the trophy room where, in
1: addition to the award for special services, Riddle's name is on a medal for magical merit and list of head boys. What sure. is? Happening here. Why purge Lord Voldemort from the school Well, I guess in a certain sense, like, that would be useful if you actually explained, hey, that's Voldemort. You know what I mean? Like, history, I guess, if you put it all in context, is nothing to be feared. This is actually the worst thing. Purging it would be one thing. Leaving it up there without explaining that that's who the guy is is, I think, the worst. Hogwarts, get it together. Though maybe perhaps it's hard for professors to clean up the trophy room when they're busy trying not to vomit in response to— Lockhart's wonderful Valentine's Day surprise. When a Cupid stops Harry in front of a throng of first years, including Ginevra, 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 Ginny, who is, by the way, the sender of this wonderful Cupid, Harry and the readers alike are treated to a rendition that is at once high comic relief and a reminder of Harry's standing in the world. His eyes are as green as a fresh pickled toad. His hair is as dark as a blackboard. I wish he was mine. He's really divine. The hero who conquered the dark lord harry is like the celebrity who can't know if someone loves him for him or what he represents and increasingly the thing that he represents is muddied
0: when malfoy picks up the diary quote ginny was staring from the diary to harry looking terrified ah another clue harry loses patience and shouts expelliarmus his true girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) his his eternal valentine he is unknowingly calling lord voldemort closer to himself because Harry cannot stop perseverating over the diary, he notices that the ink that spilled all over his other possessions when his bag split in his attempted Cupid escape is not on the pages of the diary. And later, alone in his dorm, he decides to test this further, dropping a dot of ink onto a diary page and watching it vanish. And when Harry writes his first message, the diary absorbs his ink and then pushes it back up to him. <laughs> Reformed in new words. This is, again, a remarkable, (laughs) crucial symbol for the parts of their identity that Harry and Voldemort share. The ink is both of them. It's initially pure, and then it is repurposed, corrupted, meant to do foul things. Hello,
1: Harry Potter. My name is Tom Riddle. How did you come by my diary? still chilling to read this yes. all the time later. It actually, it, 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 actually <laughs> it really is. Actually not chilling the first time but chilling when you realize Now you how know what it represents. Right. Yeah. Harry tells the diary that it was flushed down a toilet. Riddle provides another clue to the eventual Horcrux hunt. Luckily, that I recorded my memories in some more lasting way than ink but I always knew that there would be those who would not want this diary read. Harry asks Journal Riddle about the Chamber of Secrets and Riddle of course, obliged. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I knew about the chamber. <laughs> I, I was there. Let me tell you everything that happened. According to Riddle, the chamber was last opened during his fifth year and several students were attacked. One was killed. Riddle claims he caught the person responsible, but the truth of the event was suppressed. It's happening now, Harry writes. Who was it last time? I can show you if you like.
0: Inside Riddle's recollections, Harry notices the similarities between them, right down to the jet black hair. He witnesses Riddle's chat with then-headmaster Dippet, a conversation in which Riddle mentions that he is a half-blood. Ah, this is key, like Harry. Riddle, who lives in a muggle orphanage and whose home life we will eventually discover is awful, dysfunctional, full of the same neglect that defined Harry's childhood— Riddle wants to stay at Hogwarts over summer break, and Dipit, who is already under pressure from the ministry to stop the attacks, which have already resulted in a student's death, feels fairly that allowing a student to stay under the current circumstances would be not only unwise, but maybe impossible. The school might close. But Riddle floats just because, no reason. What if the perpetrator forgot? What if it all stopped? Asking just because, asking for a friend. Dippet says, "Do you mean you know something about these attacks?" Tom says no, but Harry, observing this, notes that it was, quote, the same sort of no that he himself had given. Dumbledore, uh, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Harry can read Riddle. This is key. Yeah. Harry watches Riddle weighing something. We now can, you know, deduce in hindsight that he's weighing. What's more important, carrying out these attacks, carrying out Slytherin's work, or staying at Hogwarts, the only place he thinks of as home, and a place where he will make horcruxes, hide horcruxes, the place that links him to his ancestor. 50 years ago, Riddle made his choice, and in this moment, Riddle shows Harry that choice. He goes to find Hagrid, who Riddle claims is responsible, a Huge spider, though not nearly as huge as it will be next time we see it. Still pretty big. Pretty big, though. Big enough. Too big. Bigger than non-existent, which is the preferable size for spiders, is in Hagrid's care in the dungeons. And Harry watches as Riddle confronts Hagrid and attempts to capture the spider. How much of this is true, Harry wonders? What is the context of these events? Harry has no idea. But should he ask? Nah. Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 14, Cornelius Fudge. Corny Fudge. Could Hagrid,
1: big, dear, sweet Hagrid, really have been harboring the monster from inside the chamber that would go on to attack several students, killing one? Have our friends possibly discovered one of the secrets Hagrid is capable of keeping? Maybe, Hermione suggests, Riddle caught the wrong person, Ron says. How many monsters do you think this place can hold? Listen, a lot.
0: No safer place than Hogwarts. A lot, a lot, a
1: lot. (laughs) The story, as we know it thus far, kind of comports with the facts The 50-year timeline, Hagrid being expelled, Riddle's award for special services. Quickly, our heroes begin engaging in the very same kind of wild speculation and molding of narrative that Harry has been the victim of. Bizarrely. Extremely bizarrely. I cannot overstate how bizarre this decision is. Harry, Ron, and Hermione decide, you know what? We could go to Hagrid. And ask him about it because we're close like that. We go to his
0: hut all the time. We literally asked him about flamel, fluffy, the So Stone, many and things we've asked him about ninety-five it. times last year. We could do that, but you know, like as long as nobody
1: else is attacked and Harry doesn't hear the voice again, why do it? Let's just leave it alone. What?
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> Ah! I haven't heard the voice in, I don't know, three three days? Listen. Let's not go. Harry, famous for his restraint and self-control in moments like this. So this is very on brand for him. Notably, when Ron tries to shame Riddle by noting that he sounds like a dirty tattletale, Harry empathizes with the boy by saying, quote, and Riddle was going to go back to some muggle orphanage if they closed Hogwarts. I don't blame him for wanting to stay here. Sometimes in stories, the villain is totally unrecognizable, feared because the villain represents something totally incomprehensible, threatening, strange. Voldemort is such an effective villain in large part because that's not the case for him. He is so recognizable, particularly to Harry, whose identity hinges in large part on sharing certain commonalities with Voldemort and choosing choosing to process them and act on them differently.
1: With the diary stolen from Harry's room, Ginny, What are you doing, my gal, Ginevra? Come on, Jenny. The attacks begin again, though Harry does not manage to connect this to the diary. When Harry hears the voice again, light bulb goes off, and Hermione rushes off. Where else? To the library to figure it out. Hermione's identity is the problem solver, the bold brainiac who puts her intellectual prowess to use. Naturally, she is the one who pieces together that if only Harry, the newly discovered parcel mouth, is hearing the voice... It's got to be a snake, you guys. But before Hermione can share this discovery with her fellows, because she had to run off at just that very moment without telling anybody anything, she is attacked. <laughs> so is Penelope Clearwater. They're found with a mirror, another clue, like the water by Mrs. Norris, the camera in front of Colin, and the ghost in front of Justin that none of the victims looked the basilic directly in the eye. Harry and Ron learn that Hermione has been petrified when McGallion herself cancels the impending Gryffindor Hufflepuff Quidditch match.
0: At great personal cost, she surely.
1: Listen, she didn't like the way the lines were moving, and she decided to cut her losses So this and is get all out. part
0: of the, lo- the long time. Yes, the long 100%. It just just
1: didn't like it. Harry had a lot on his mind, just didn't like the way it was going. McGonagall says, I need hardly add that I have rarely been so distressed indeed. Quite right. <laughs> She's had a year's salary down on the monster
0: being caught by exams, and it doesn't look like it's gonna happen, guys. Tough break from McGallion. Finally. Jesus Christ. With Hermione petrified. Megallion oh. and more debt than ever. Right. And Penelope. Let's not forget about Penelope. Yeah, Percy's never going to get laid again. I guess now we should go talk to Hagrid, right? <laughs> <laughs> should we ask him about it? Harry and Ron can't delay questioning Hagrid anymore. With new security precautions in place, they have to break out the invisibility cloak, sneak down through the hallways that are crowded with patrolling teachers. And Ron and Harry barely have a moment with Hagrid, who opens the door armed with a crossbow, is knocking over his possessions, forgets to put the tea bag in the tea kettle, clearly in a state of supreme distress. Can't get a word in, can't get any clarity before his past comes back to haunt him. Corny fudge, minister Corn of magic, fudge. lime green bowler hat tucked under his arm arrives at Hagrid's hut with Dumbledore. Harry and Ron hide under the cloak. Because of Hagrid's connection to the attacks from 50 years ago, Fudge orders that the gameskeeper be sent to Azkaban prison. Temporarily, of course.
1: Just temporarily. So don't
0: even sweat it, Hagrid. Don't even sweat it. Minimum
1: security, Azkaban. Hardly any dementors.
0: (laughs) This is such an insight into Fudge's identity because... We know right away, just from this, how he thinks. Every decision is a calculation about whether to act, and if so, in what capacity. And Fudge knows, he knows that Hagrid is not responsible. Dumbledore is adamant about this, and Fudge, in essence, cops to not believing his own bullshit. And he says, quote, look at it from my point of view. I'm under a lot of pressure. Got to be seen to be doing something. If it turns out it wasn't Hagrid, he'll be back in no more set gotta be seen to be doing something. Fudge is basically admitting that he's a coward, that he's motivated by fear and desperation. And here, that manifests in feeling compelled to act just for the sake of saying that he did something. We'll see this manifest for Fudge in different ways later, most notably after Voldemort's return in Goblet of Fire, when the same cowardly thirst for self-preservation above all manifests in inaction, in a very costly refusal to admit or concede that the Dark Lord has returned.
1: Guess who's back, guys? Lucius Malfoy. Mm. And he's here to... Great guy. ...prance around, stir some shit, and really enjoy the fruits of his many machinations. He shows up at Hagrid's hut and hands Dumbledore an order of suspension signed by all of the school's governors. Harry observes that Dumbledore spoke politely, but the fire was still blazing in his blue eyes. Dumbledore doesn't believe in the system. He's more of a do-it-yourself guy. In part, as we'll learn in Hallows, that's because he fears the corruptive force of power having been so sorely tempted himself. I think we can debate when we get to that point whether that's wise or unwise. I think it's unclear at this point. In part, it's because he's seen the system fail too many times before. Sometimes the rules are too restrictive. Sometimes they have to be skirted. Many of Dumbledore's decisions warrant examination, but one thing that's never in doubt is that he seeks to impart wisdom to Harry however he can, whether or not the means are conventional. Here it's by speaking in a way that gives Harry the information he needs but without spelling it out completely because he believes that his his young charge will absorb this through osmosis in part because it's a message so fundamentally aligned with who Harry already is. Dumbledore says, "You will find that I will only truly have left this school when none here are loyal to me." A.K.A. the Deep State, the Dumbledore Deep State, <laughs> is alive. You will also find that help will always be given at Hogwarts to those who ask it. This foreshadows Harry calling Fox to him in the chamber. But also the endgame impact that Dumbledore will have on Harry. He was never just a man. His words became, in a way, like Fox's Phoenix song, penetrating Harry's heart and the very stone of the castle he called home.
0: Mal. Yeah.
1: Have you ever heard of a plan where... So many things could go wrong. Yeah, binge mode. In an effort to try and help them go right, please toss the invisibility cloak over our heads and lead us into the restricted section to teach us what we need to know about Polyjuice Potion delicious Mm. and nutritious.
0: Polyjuice Potion! If you think tainted ice juice goes down tough, try a swig of this brew. It might smell like cabbage, it'll definitely make your body boil, and it may or may not contain your sworn enemy's dandruff. Mmm, drink up. The prefix poly means many, and this juice is worthy of the name as it provides the drinker the chance to transform into many possible people, assuming one person's physical appearance at a time for a brief period of time, so long as the necessary skills and ingredients are in place. Ah, but there's the rub! The Potion is immensely difficult to make and dangerous to boot. Most potent potions isn't in the restricted section of the Hogwarts Library just for Madame Pince's shits and giggles. As J.K. Rowling notes on Pottermore, Hermione's ability to successfully concoct this potion at age 12, 12 speaks to her precociousness and rare talent. Many adult witches and wizards are afraid to even try it, and our girl is out here whipping this up on the down low in a defunct toilet the ghost wailing over her shoulder. Ten points to Gryffindor! This potion is so complex in large part because of the components, which, as our hero's theft of certain key ingredients from Snape's stores illustrates, are not all easy to come by. They are all full of symbolic significance, however. On Pottermore, Rowling said that she carefully selected each element, and her explanation shows how true that is. Quote, Lacewing flies, the first part of the name suggested an intertwining or binding together of two identities. Leeches, to suck the essence out of one and into the other. Horn of bicorn, the idea of duality. knockgrass, another hint of being tied to another person. Fluxweed, the mutability of the body as it changed into another. And boomslang skin, a shedded outer body and a new inner. End quote. These items are all part of a whole, but each one speaks in some key way to what this magic will help the drinker achieve. Brilliant. The final ingredient, of course, is different in each case, a bit of the person the consumer is changing into. Ron's concern about ingesting crab's toenails was not actually totally misguided. Really, any organic matter will do. Hair, as Mad-Eye Moody can tell you, is used most often, as it grows in abundance and it is easier to swipe than a toenail. At least I hope. Wear shoes, people. The brewing process is informed by that ingredient set. The potion takes a month or close to it because the lacewing flies must stew for 21 days and the fluxweed must be picked at the full moon. Best case, if your lacewing stew timetable aligns with the full moon, you're still looking at three weeks. And you better brew a lot because doses don't last long. In Chamber, Hermione tells Harry unambiguously that they have one hour before they turn back into themselves. On Pottermore, it says the effects can last anywhere from 10 minutes to 12 hours, depending on how the potion is made. Needing to maintain a long-term disguise then, as Barty Crouch, Junior, does, is quite a drag, and someone in that situation best hope for a tasty subject because the color of the potion shifts based on whose body part is added. In Chamber, Harry's Goyle potion turns khaki-colored, Ron's crab root turns brown, and what Hermione thinks is her bolstrode drink turns, quote, a sick sort of yellow. The taste varies, too. Harry observes the Goyle tastes like overcooked cabbage, and in Hallows, Hermione observes a Bellatrix taste, quote, disgusting, worse than Gertie Roots. Polyjuice isn't all gag reflexes, though. In Hallows, as Harry's allies are preparing to chug him down, we get this gem of a passage, quote, Ooh, you look much tastier than Crab and Goyle, Harry, said Hermione, before catching sight of Ron's raised eyebrows, blushing slightly, and saying, Oh, you know what I mean. Goyle's potion looked like bogeys. Yeah, Hermione, we know what you mean. As Hermione can attest after spending weeks as part cat, the potion can be used to alter age, sex, and race, but not species. Guess I'll have to find another way to figure out what life is really like for my sweet halo dove, huh? Even absent a tail, pointy ears, and a face full of fur, however, transforming is extremely painful. In Chamber, Harry describes his writhing insides and burning body, painful stretching, the sensation of bubbling wax across his skin, and he's not even paying for the full Brazilian! The effects of the potion transform anything organic. Think of how Barty Jr. loses an eyeball and part of a leg when he's turning into Moody, but cannot account for material things. In other words, drink polyjuice potion responsibly, kids. Pack a change of clothes. It's unclear whether the potion's use is regulated, like Felix Felici say, but we see polyjuice used often enough throughout the series to deduce that its inherent dangers and degree of difficulty act as a deterrent, more than any actual law against its usage probably would. We see Polyjuice Potion in these books more often than we see the homie Charlie Weasley. In Chamber, Harry, Ron, and Hermione use it to interrogate Malfoy. In Goblet, Barty Crouch Jr. uses it all school year, all school year, to impersonate Mad-Eye Moody. And we learn after the Barty Jr. reveal that Crouch Sr. had used it in the past to swap his wife and son's identities in order to smuggle his child out of Azkaban. In Prince, Slughorn brews the potion to show to his students, and one of those students, Draco Malfoy, swipes some of it, which he then dishes out to Crab and Goyle so that they can stand guard for him in disguise outside of the room of requirement. In Hallows, Polyjuice is basically the fourth next-gen marauder. The Seven Potters' plan hinges on Harry's friends ingesting a bit of him to create diversions when moving him from Privet Drive. Harry then uses it at Bill and Fleur's wedding to pretend to be a Weasley cousin. Hi, Barney. Harry, Ron, and Hermione use it to impersonate ministry officials for their break-in and horcrux recovery. Harry and Hermione use it to pretend to be a muggle couple when they go to Godric's Hollow. And Hermione uses it to impersonate Bellatrix for the Gringotts break-in. Notably, we'll learn that the Seven Potters decoy plan is actually Snape's idea that he passes on to Mundungus. One more delightful link of subtle appreciation and connectivity between Snape and Harry that we can only recognize in hindsight, the man who harped for so long on Harry's polyjuice ingredient theft, even when Harry wasn't really the thief and Crouch Jr. was, finds a way to use the concoction to help the boy. Albus, Scorpius, and Delphi even use Polyjuice and Cursed Child to sneak into the ministry. Guess it's nice to know that some family traditions never die. Harry's written potions owl, meanwhile, contains a question about Polyjuice, which he's able to answer quite accurately, having consumed it more frequently than basically anything but pumpkin juice in his life. Notably, Grindywald did not use Polyjuice to impersonate Percival Graves in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, opting instead for human transfiguration. The potion is, however, a tool that death eaters deploy, as the Ministry of Magic safety leaflet handed out in prints includes guidance about how to detect impersonators. Horrifyingly, that implies that there's genuinely no way to tell whether someone is real or an imposter imbibing the juice other than to just wait, in Alistair Moody's case, one full year. You guys, just down here, in my own trunk, losing all my hair, sitting in my own filth. Anyone? No? Just out there talking about dragons? No? Still at the Yule Ball? No? Okay. Equally horrifying to consider the invasion of privacy at play when someone swipes your DNA and turns into you without your permission. The ethical implications here are extremely fraught, to put it mildly. But hey, there's no safer place than Hogwarts in the Wizarding World, as long as you're wearing a hairnet. Jason? Yeah? How many monsters do you think this place can hold? Like a lot. More or less than seven. Many more. Forget about monsters. Let's split our nuggets, if not our souls, by sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from Chamber Chapters 11 through 14. Because seven remains the most powerfully magical number. You go first. When Harry gives Ron
1: and Hermione the rundown of his hospital bed chat with good old Dobby, Mm, the Dobster, Dobster. Ron says, so Dobby stopped us from getting on the train and broke your arm. You know what, Harry? If he doesn't stop trying to save your life, he's going to kill you. Extremely sad to read this and reflect on it in the light of Dobby's ultimate sacrifice, giving his life, spoiler, in order to save Harry and company at Malfoy Manor in Deathly Hallows. Shouts to my main dude, Dobby. Shouts. The Dobster, the only free elf out here.
0: Number two. When Lockhart's Valentine's Day festivities are in full swing, he suggests at one point that the students consult Snape on the finer points of concocting love potions. And then we get this line, quote, Snape was looking as though the first person to ask him for a love potion would be force-fed poison. Sadly, this is not the last time that love potions and poison will be linked in the story, as Ron's ingestion of the love potion that Ramil Devane intended to give Harry in Half-Blood Prince leads Harry to seek Slughorn's antidote help, which then leads to a celebratory drink For Ron's birthday, which then leads to Ron guzzling the poisoned meat and nearly dying. Whoops. Speaking of reading Snape's expressions, quote, Snape's upper lip was curling. Harry wondered why Lockhart was still smiling. If Snape had been looking at him like that, he'd have been running as fast as he could in the opposite direction. Ah, would he have? Or would he have been charging at him head on to duel like he will in Half-Blood Prince after Snape kills Dumbledore? In that moment, Snape's expression is described as sneering.
1: Number three, numerous... Prisoner of Azkaban references and teases. One of the great things about this story is the way J.K. sprinkles a few details in there that will be fleshed out one book, two books, several books later. And here we have multiple references to the wizard prison, Azkaban. Number one. Oh, yeah. Whoever it was was expelled. They're probably still in Azkaban. Harry asks what that is. Azkaban, the wizard prison. Goyle said Malfoy, looking at him in disbelief. Honestly, if you were any slower, you'd be going backwards. Then... Dementors foreshadowing Here's Lucius Malfoy Dear, dear, dear You know the temper of yours will lead you into trouble one of these days, Hagrid I would advise you not to shout at the Azkaban guards like that They won't like it at all And third Non-prison edition Hermione took nobody's advice but signed up for everything Early time-turner schedule clue How will she manage to take all these classes?
0: A lot of classes A lot of classes with a time-turner It's actually not worth it Spoiler Number four the feud with Snape continues, naturally. The gang needs their bicorn horn and selling skin for the potion, and we get this moment where Harry reflects that he... Feels privately that he'd rather face Slytherin's monster than let Snape catch him robbing his office. This is a good instinct because Snape will never let this go. In Goblet, Snape will go on to accuse Harry of stealing these items back in year two. In truth, he's kind of right. Hermione does the actual stealing, but Harry is the one who tosses the firework to create the diversion. It's obviously he's in on the plan. Also in Goblet, Snape will falsely accuse Harry of stealing the gillyweed, that was Dobby, and more polyjuice potions and ingredients that year. That was Barty Crouch Jr. (laughs) In part, Snape blames Harry in year four because of this year two occurrence clearly left a mark. Speaking of fake Moody, when Harry thinks, quote, but the only thing Harry felt he was really good at was Quidditch, it's a nice little bit of foreshadowing for his eventual chat with imposter Moody before the first Triwizard task. Number five. Hermione's
1: reaction to finding the diary in contrast to her reaction of the prince textbook that comes up in half-blood prince there is a clear contrast here upon Harry discovering Tom Riddle's diary ooh it might have hidden power she's intrigued and then recall when the half-blood prince textbook surfaces she is
0: very distrustful of it cool little wrinkle there also notable that Hermione learns And evolves and Harry doesn't. Yes. Because he's like, I've never never been duped by a book before. Oh, What's this, another mysterious book? (laughs) I love when Ginny calls him out on that. That's so great. Number six, when Harry and Ron interrogate Malfoy, he reveals that the Ministry raided Malfoy Manor, and he says that his father has some very valuable dark arts stuff hidden away in their own secret chamber under the drawing room floor. Ah, now, we do not know for certain that this is the same chamber in which Harry and Ron and Luna and Dean and Ollivander and Griphook will be kept as prisoners in Deathly Hallows, but it's a reasonable deduction as both of these are secret chambers in Malfoy Manor, proximate to the drawing room. Number seven, sex and gambling. Yeah. A couple of references
1: here. Hermione goes into the dorm with presents, establishing that girls can go to the boys' dorm. Uh Guess we know how Molly and Arthur managed to do whatever it is they did that left marks. (laughs) Percy and Penelope both come up from the abandoned dungeons doing what? Doing what, I ask you? (laughs) should also note that in our next episode, we will mention that Percy at one point says, Ginny uh, walked in on me doing something that I don't want to talk about right now. What was it, Percy? Three, Percy is silent after the Penelope attack. George says it's because Penelope was a prefect and Percy didn't think the monster would attack a prefect. But as we'll learn later, it's because they were dating and Percy is a scumbag. Mal, it's lucky that I recorded my memories in some more lasting way than ink, but I always knew that there would be those who would not want this podcast played. Every episode, we're going to honor the person or creature or memory that compelled us the most, and today we're dishing out some last minute points and awarding the house cup. He's already got an award, but now we're giving him the house cup to Tommy, the Tomster TM Riddle.
0: Listen, a lot of L's for basically everyone in this stretch of chapters. It's hard to find someone who's clearly winning. Hermione turned into a cat briefly, or not into a cat, but took on cat-like characteristics. Yellow eyes. Petrified now. Harry is just full of despair and doubt. Not a lot of wins. Everybody thinks he's the guy behind all this. Not great for him. Ron's not really doing much. Hagrid just got shipped off to Azkaban. Dumbledore just got suspended. Where can we find a winner? Perhaps in the pages of T.M. Riddle's diary? He
1: successfully catfished both Ginny Ginevra, Ginevra, Weasley, and Harry the Chosen One Potter. Absolutely catfished young Harry Potter. Never let this be forgotten. He is described also
0: as handsome. Quite handsome. Quite a good-looking young man. Yeah. That's how he charmed people. If you had a face like that,
1: why would I turn to evil and make it make my eyes into slits and cut my nose off and all that
0: stuff? That's exactly what I was going to ask. Yeah. Listen, there, Why?
1: there is no handsomeness. <laughs> There's only power in those two weak to seek it. He also, as we mentioned, has thrown the scent completely off himself. Successfully framed Hagrid for the crime not once, but twice. twice. Now, now separated by 50 years, his successful framing of Hagrid. Frame me once. <laughs> Shame on shame on, shame on me, shame on you. Frame me twice. Frame me can't get framed again, but what if I can get framed again? Because that's just how good Tom Riddle is. Bonus points also if we're getting Dumbledore kicked the fuck out of here.
0: Get out of here. What are you doing anyway, Dumbly? In our next set of chapters, Tom Riddle will say, Dumbledore has been driven out of this castle by the mere, the mere memory. memory of me. That's right. I got him out of here. I'm not even a full dude. Shouts to Tom Marvolo Riddle. Shouts. Getting it done. For now. For now. Tune in to find out when he stops getting it done. Yes. All right, friends. You will find that we will only truly have left this podcast studio when none here are loyal to us. You will also find that help will always be given in binge mode to those who ask for it. That's right. Especially if they ask the indispensable Isaac Lee, our producer, and Zach Cram, our researcher. We hope that you had as much fun as we did today, that you were as excited as we are for the rest of this journey, and that you will join us again tomorrow. When we will be discussing the final four chapters of Chamber of Secrets. Yes. Till then, remember, if anyone wanted to find out some... stuff, all they'd have to do would be to follow the spiders. Follow the spiders, guys. That'd lead them right.
1: So, Harry, is there? Anything at all you want to tell me? No. Anything involving maybe a book? Some voices you might be hearing? No. Why do you say that? It's really weird that you would say that. Books? Do I've ever given you the impression that I like books? Like I feel like very attacked right now. I feel attacked. Mildly attacked that you would even say that.